All right, here we are. Last week of uh, hilarious generosity. Um, I hope that it's been good for you. If you're just joining us today, if you're new, if you're a guest, uh, Merry Christmas Eve to you. Uh, tomorrow we'll celebrate Christmas uh, here as a, as a congregation. Again, you're more than welcome. You're welcome, invited to join us uh, 11 o'clock in our main, in our, uh, in our other building, in the main sanctuary there. Um, that would be awesome. But we're uh, at the tail end of this series as we look into the Christmas story. The true Christmas story is recorded by Jesus' biographers in the Gospels. Um, why don't we, why don't we, uh, we've done this a little bit today, but can you turn to the person next to you and say, you are a gift to me. Can you do that? You're a gift to me. When, when, it comes to, uh, when it comes to giving gifts, I think there's always a, a give and take, right? We give gifts, we receive gifts. I think when it comes to giving gifts, we typically tend to think there are two categories of gifts. Uh, we uh, give gifts, either pe- things that people need or things that people want, right? Very simple. That's usually how we give gifts. When it comes to receiving gifts, one of the things I've come to realize is that there's actually three categories of gifts. There's gifts that I need, <laughs> gifts that I want, and then there's gifts that I neither want nor need. I don't know uh, how it is with you, but uh, there have been some times where I've grown up. When I was a kid, I used to love uh, Godzilla. Godzilla was, uh, he, he was like a uh, fire-breathing dragon, right? This dragon, and he was like really vicious and uh, he lived in Japan, I think. I really loved uh, Godzilla. And so one Christmas, when I was young, um, I really wanted a Godzilla uh, toy. I, I knew exactly the one I wanted because I had it, but someone had broken it. So Godzilla toy is like this big, and um, he had this, this little lever on the back of his head. And if you pulled it down, then fire would, not real fire, but um, uh, what looked like fire would come out of his mouth. And so I would like do that, and then the lever broke, and so I could no longer uh, eject fire from his mouth. And so I really wanted it. Uh, new, brand new Godzilla uh, for Christmas that year. And so uh, it was well known uh, to the people around me that this is what I wanted and I needed. And so Christmas morning came and I opened up all of my gifts and there was no Godzilla toy and I was very upset. I was distraught. I was saddened by it. But there was one toy left. I'm sorry, one gift left, I should say. There was one gift left and it was wrapped up in a rectangular box and I thought to myself, do I think Godzilla could fit into that box? And I was pretty sure he couldn't, but... I was holding on to hope anyways, and I ripped open the wrapping paper and ripped it off, and it was a clothing box. So I opened up the box thinking maybe Godzilla was smushed in there, but it wasn't. It was a green, ugly sweater (laughs) with a little alligator logo on it that my aunt swore to me made it really special (laughs) and precious. In my mind, I didn't say this out loud, but I thought to myself, this is terrible. I don't need a sweater. I don't want a sweater. This is the worst gift ever, but I tried to act cool, and I tried to act coy. In my heart of hearts, I thought to myself, that alligator that you think makes it so special isn't even all that scary. And so I was upset, and I was angry. I tried not to show it, but I think my aunt picked up on it. And I think she realized, wow, it really is hard finding the perfect gift for my nephew. I don't know if you've been... Christmas shopping, as our presider Eugene mentioned, a lot of times that's the busyness and the stress of Christmas. It's not just buying gifts. If you, it was just about buying gifts. You could buy everybody a gift card and give it to them, but it's about finding the perfect gift, a gift that I know that they want or I know that they need, something that will make them extremely happy when they open up this
this gift? Where did this idea of gift giving during Christmas come from? Most of us would think, well, it came from St. Nicholas, this jolly old man, or some of us would think it came from Santa Claus. But long before these two guys ever came on the scene of Christmas, there were some people called the Magi who gave the first gifts of Christmas. I want to look at their story today, and I want to see in Matthew chapter 2 how their gifts are actually the most perfect gifts, the most perfect gifts that anybody could give. And they tell us so much, not only about the Magi themselves, but about who they gave the gifts to and about the kind of gifts that Jesus is asking from us this Christmas season. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12, and we're going to focus on maybe a couple verses here. This is soon after Jesus was born. He was under two years old. It wasn't right when he was born. But we're going to read the birth, uh, the, the young childhood accounts of the infant, maybe uh, young, young baby Jesus. This is the word of God, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. Okay, Jesus has already been born. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense, and of myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is God's word. This is such a beautiful, beautiful retelling of the account that happened some 2,000 years ago. Last night, we had a Christmas party for our youth ministry, and one of the activities that they did, they did a lot of, like, really cool things, but one of the things they did was they did... They took a quiz, a Christmas quiz based on the biblical accounts of Christmas, and there were 20-some questions, and they had to answer them, not according to what you think you know about Christmas, but according to what the actual biblical accounts about Christmas say. And one of the things I realized, I think 21 questions, one of the groups only got three questions right. Right? That's really bad. One of the things I learned that night, last night, was that, man, we have a lot of misconceptions when it comes to what happened that first Christmas. It says here in verse 1, 
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, all this stuff, magi from the east came. Okay, the Bible doesn't say that there were three wise men, right? And that's kind of a misconception that a lot of us have. First, that there were three, and then that they were wise men. Nor did the Bible ever say that we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts from near and afar. Uh, There was no sense in which uh, these magi were kings either. What were they then? Most likely, and this is what most of the scholars say, they were astrologers, meaning, well, we have, a, we have a different understanding of astrology today than they did then. Both then and now, astrologers were fascinated with the stars in the sky. But they weren't reading the stars as we read zodiacs or people read zodiacs today trying to tell the future, but they saw in the sky glimpses to the answers for the questions that people were asking about philosophy and about life. Who am I? Why am I here? What is the purpose for life? And it was very common in those days that astrological signs in the, st- in the sky would oftentimes accompany the major events in history, the birth of a ruler, the death of a ruler, the transition of power in a given country. And so wise men were not, the magi were not kings, nor were they simply wise men. They were astrologers who looked to the stars in order to find meaning to life. And so while they weren't the things that we typically may think them to be, they were people of prominence. They were people of stature. And so most likely when the wise men, however many they were, bearing their three gifts, when they traveled through the desert, they were accompanied by an entourage of people who would protect them, who would guard them, who would guard the treasures that they had as they were coming uh, to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. So what was it that they, where did they come from? It says they came from the east, and in the east most scholars would say they come from a place called Babylon. Babylonians were famous for their understanding of the stars and of the sky and of the celestial beings. They were famous for that. But at the same time, what we understand about the Bible is that the Israelites, the people of God, were taken into exile in Babylon about 586 B.C. About 40-some years later, they were sent back to Israel, but some of the Jews stayed in Babylon. And so scholars speculate that these magi were descendants of these people who knew about Daniel, who knew about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who studied the stars. And so here were these people, magi, living in Babylon in a pagan nation and yet extremely familiar with the Jewish scripture and the prophecies of the king who was to come. In particular, because they knew Jewish scripture and because they studied the stars, they were familiar with a prophecy in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, that says, I see a star that will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. And so looking at the stars, they knew that one day a star in the sky would light the way to the one who would hold the scepter of Israel, the king of the Jews. And so here are these people, these magi, these philosophers coming from Babylon hundreds of miles in order that they might see the king who was born to their ancient people, the Jews. And here they come bearing gifts. The gifts that they bring, I submit to you, were the most perfect gifts fit for Jesus, not only the king, but the king of the world, 
right? What do we see? Two thoughts, okay? Two thoughts about the gifts that they brought. What do they mean then? What do they mean for us today? What does it mean for the gifts that we ought to bring to Jesus uh, today? First thing we see, the best gifts, okay, the best gifts take the recipient into consideration, okay? The best gifts take the recipient into consideration. Uh, last night, again, our youth had a gift exchange. I know some of our house churches took, uh, had, had gift exchanges this year. Um, when I was growing up, I loved gift exchanges because I knew <laughs> that even if nobody in my family got me a gift, at least I'd have one gift for Christmas. Right? The kind of gift exchange that I'm talking about, you bring a gift, right, for whomever it might be. Someone else brings a gift. Everyone brings a gift. Everyone who brings a gift gets to choose a gift, and you go home with a gift. Sometime in the past 10, 15 years, they started doing this, like, well, as far as I know, started doing these white elephant gift exchanges where everyone gets a gift, and then you could jack other people's gifts, right? This is, like, really cool. Our house church had uh, a white elephant gift exchange this week, and we all brought gifts, and we all picked gifts, and uh, before, if, you want to, you, if you want, you could pick an unwrapped gift from under the tree, or you could steal somebody else's gift that had already been opened up. You know how it goes. And for the first several rounds of this gift exchange, nobody wanted to steal anything. You know, we just, hey, you know, it's Christmas. We love each other. We do life together. We're family. You know, we ain't going to jack from each other. But got to the last person, last person's turn to pick, and she said, I'm going to steal something. And so she stole something from another person. And then all heck broke loose. (laughs) Right, people started stealing, they started taking this, started taking that. It was like really bad. There was one person who got these like Chipotle gift cards, and she said, because I'm diabetic, Chipotle is the perfect place for me to eat. These are, these are great for me. As soon as she said that, someone in our house church, may or may not be my wife, Olivia, their eyes got really big. And when it was their turn, they said, I would like those Chipotle gift cards. And she jacked it from them. Like, that's so bad, right? Not to be outdone, everyone else started stealing. So someone got this, like, Korean shampoo that was, like, I, I say it's liquid gold. This is, like, such, the, 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 the price of it was $15. This is, like, actual retail value, like many, many won in Korean currency. But it was very great. The person who got it said, I love this. This is really great. And someone said to them, kind of under the, under the hush-hush of all that was going on, don't get too attached to that. <laughs> and sure enough... Sure enough, that shampoo got stolen. At the end, everyone made up, and we hugged each other, and we cried, and we said, this is what Christmas is all about, and it's a great time, a great time. And I think, for the most part, everyone walked out of the house that night having something that they wanted. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? A lot of times, you end up with something that goes into the pile of, we will re-gift this at next year's White Elephant Gift Exchange. That's what happens sometimes. Because the problem with white elephant gift exchanges is that they don't take the recipient into consideration. You don't know who the recipient is going to. You just get a gift that you don't want, and you see, you give it to them. That's the way it rolls. But there's a better way. When you think about the person to whom you're giving the gift, the gifts can be a whole lot better. In fact, the best gifts do take the recipient into consideration. I'll tell you who's really good at this. Olivia's good at it, but because she's good at it, Elijah's good at it, too. He doesn't have a car, obviously. He doesn't have money, and so he has to have, a, if he wants to buy Christmas gifts, it has to be with money that we give him. And so we gave him $20, and their school set up this, like, pop-up gift shop called the Wonderland Gift Shop. Have any of you been there before? The Wonderland Gift Shop. 
They have all these, like, gifts that you can get, and because Elijah can barely read and he can't barely write, what he would do is he would tell the teacher, here are the people I want to buy gifts for, mom, dad, Elise, Manny, Elijah, right? <laughs> so he wanted gifts for all these people. And then he goes around and he tells her which one he wants, and then she would write it down. And so he did that. We got it. He bought gifts for people. These are the gifts that he bought. For Manny, he bought a $7 Beanie Boo stuffed animal because he knows that Manny has Beanie Boo on her bed. It's like, my sister loves Beanie Boo, so he got her a $7. $7, that's a lot of money. Like 35% of the budget that we gave him, 20 bucks, all to his little big sister. He got for his little sister, Elise, I think he got her a ring because she's always stealing Manny's rings and always wants to wear them. For Olive, he got this beautiful necklace. I told Olive to cover her ears because she hasn't opened it yet. And it says, a mother's love lasts forever. (laughs) For himself... He bought this Air Force airplane, an amazing airplane. And for his daddy, I was a little bit disappointed. It cost 50 cents. It was a keychain with a cross on it. I said, my daddy, I think he likes Jesus, so I'm going to get him a cross. I thought, wow, that's an amazing gift. Elijah's so smart. These are going to be the best gifts of Christmas for me this year because he, deep in thought, took the recipient of the gifts into consideration. It would have been bad. He just went and got a bunch of, I don't care, whatever you want. And he gave a cross keychain to Elise. She'd be like, dude, what is this? And what if he gave himself a ring that he chose for Elise? And what if Manny got this Air Force plane? And if Olivia got a beanie boo and I got a necklace that said a mother's love lasts forever, that wouldn't be that great. Because the best gifts always think about the recipient. And you think about the gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus. What kind of gifts did they bring? Well, it it, it tells us here in verse 11. They opened their, their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. These gifts were well thought out. It's not like they're on this 500-mile journey and, hey, dude, you think, uh, you know, we're, we're from the Orient, we're Asian people, so we should bring a gift. You think we should bring a gift, right? We should do that? No, it wasn't like, let's stop. I think there's a target in the middle of the desert or, or a dollar store. They didn't do that. Right? They thought about these gifts and they prepared them and they brought them. And so they open up their treasure and they say, oh, Mary, but we brought gifts for your child. She's like, oh, my gosh. In her young teenage mind, she's thinking, He needs new clothes. He needs a bib. He needs a new burp cloth. He needs a teething toy. Whatever it is that he needs, she opens it up and gold, hey, (laughs) incense and myrrh. Not quite on the registry, but yeah, these are pretty cool anyways. And so she takes them, and what she may not have known was that these were actually The best gifts, whether they knew it or not, the best gifts that they could give to the one who was born as the king of the Jews. Why? Well, you'll see this a couple verses later. Uh, Verses 13, 14 tell us that King Herod, in his raging jealousy against this baby king, 
wanted to destroy and wipe him out. And so an angel warns Joseph and says, you got to go to Egypt to flee from the coming wrath of Herod. Where does a poor peasant carpenter out of work, a newborn baby, just born, well, under two years old at least, and his mother, how do they have the resources in order to get to Egypt, a place where they don't know anybody? Because the Magi had given them gifts of gold in order that they might fund their flight and fund the days of their lives in Egypt. And unbeknownst to them, all they thought was, we're giving gold, the perfect gift for royalty. But little did they know how intensely practical this would be. They wanted it, but they would later realize that they need this gold. See, gold represents royalty, and if there's one thing, if there's one message, if there's one message that the gift of gold is saying to us here today, it's that this child born to a virgin Mary is the king. Not just any king, not just the king of the Jews, but he's the king of the world. The greatest king that the world will ever know, at whose feet one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is who he was prophesied to be and he is who he said he was, the king of kings. And then there was incense. I know essential oils are all the rage today, but it wasn't so much back then. What was incense? Incense was used in order to anoint a priest. Incense was used to burn in the temple whenever worship was given in order that it would be a fragrant offering that rises upwards into the presence of God. Whenever temple worship and prayers were held, incense would be burned in order that people would know. Okay, people would know that this is going up to the one who deserves this. And that's why we sometimes say and we read, our prayers are like incense rising up to God. If gold was telling us that Jesus is the king, then incense is telling us that Jesus is God. The, the Magi didn't understand all of this. They didn't know. They didn't have this full-orbed understanding that we do after 2,000 years. But the gift ordained by God for his son was a clear and present indicator that though we don't see it now, though they don't see it now, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell Jesus, our Emmanuel, that God is with us. That when the Magi were seeing and looking at that young child, they were looking at God himself. And that's what the gift was saying, whether they knew it or not. Not only is Jesus the King of kings, he's the very God of very gods. He is divine. He is a deity lying in that home in Bethlehem. And then it says, not only did they bring gold and of incense, but it says, and of myrrh. Myrrh was another oil that people would often present, but it was presented not at the beginning of life, but it was presented at the end of life. In John chapter 19, when Joseph of Arimathea takes down the body of the crucified carpenter Jesus, it says he prepared his body for burial. It was myrrh, John 19 says, that was used in order a fragrant aroma in order to help the decaying process so that the body would not smell as much in its decomposition. 
again, the Magi didn't know, but what they were saying was, with these gifts of gold and incense of myrrh, they were telling us, and they were telling everyone who would hear the true story of Jesus, that this baby is not only the king of kings, not only is he the God of gods, but he was born to die. The sacrifice of sacrifices. The gift of myrrh tells the mission of Jesus that he was born in order to die, that the world might be saved through his death. And that's why, that's why these are the perfect gifts of Christmas. The best gifts, my friends, always take into consideration the recipients who are receiving the gifts that you're bringing. So what are you bringing to Jesus? Can I tell you that it's not so much about what you bring alone, but it's in how you think about the one to whom you're bringing your gifts. Are you bringing a gift? Christmas is the only time where the birthday person is not the one receiving the gifts most of the time. But if we were to bring a gift to Jesus this Christmas, what would be the gift that you bring to him? Who is the Jesus to whom you come today? Because if you understand who he is, right, if you understand who Jesus really is, then you understand that the one whom you've come to worship is God, is the king, he's the one who came to die for you. That's the first thing. Best gifts always take into account the recipient. Second thing, and this is, we're only seeing two things here. Second thing, the most costly gifts, the costliest gifts are always reserved for the most worthy recipients. The costliest of gifts always given to the worthiest recipients. You know, in, in, in any, uh, any product or any industry, any field, there's a hierarchy of stores, right? There's uh, you know, with clothing, there's uh, Banana Republic is the top of that, that, that chain, right? Banana Republic and then Gap and then Old Navy, right? Uh, there's Tiffany Diamonds and then there's something else and then there's like he went to Jared or whatever maybe. I don't know what the hierarchy But when it comes to the hierarchy of gifts here, gold, most precious of metals, gold and incense and myrrh were the costliest of gifts that you could bring. Why? Because they understood the worth of the one to whom these gifts are being given. It says in verse 2, right? Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. They understand that if he really is the king and he is worthy of our worship, then only the best of the best can be given to someone of that stature. They understand that the costliest gifts given to the worthiest of people. But it's not just, you think about this, it's not just the value of the gifts in themselves that they're giving to Jesus to commemorate his coming into this world. If you think about it to me, I think that the greater gift may not be in the gold and the incense and the myrrh. I think it's in the fact that they came all of that way in order to worship the king. They could have done that in a million different ways. But from Babylon to Bethlehem, 
is about 500 miles. Some say it's more than that. 500 miles is from here to about Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay, 500 miles, right? A nice, I don't know, eight, nine, ten-hour drive, depending on how fast you drive and how clear the roads are. But you're going on highway, you could get up there probably about eight, nine hours. But for the Magi who are going not through a highway but through a desert, who are riding not in a Corolla but on a camel, it probably takes at least four, five, six months journey through the desert sand in order to get there. Why would they do that? Why would they cross over every racial and cultural and, and, and language barrier in order to get from where they are to where Jesus is? Why would they leave their families behind? Why would they leave their children behind? Why would they leave their lands behind? Why would they leave everything behind in order to spend this four-month trek in order to get to see this, this little child? Well, because it's clear to them, where is the one born, king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him because clearly, as students of the sky, they understand the significance of the one who's being born, not in the way that we do, but they understand that the one being born in that place is something more than an ordinary child. And so they go, fully understanding that people six miles away from them in Jerusalem who knew the prophecies would not even go to check and see if the prophets were really true. Hundreds of miles. Would you do that? If you are six miles away, nobody in Jerusalem is said to have gone to Bethlehem. In fact, King Herod said, hey, if it's really true, let me know so that I can go and worship him. Apparently, nobody else in Jerusalem had taken that six-mile trek in order to get there to see if it was really true. If you were there in those in Jerusalem in that day, would you have gone to check? In fact, if you were in Babylon, boy, probably not many of us would have gone. But why did they go? I think they understand something. They understood something. They understood that the journey was part of the worship. Because the more we see the worth of somebody, okay, this is what worship is, right? You know this if you've, if you've been here long enough. To worship someone means you are declaring someone's worth. Okay, this is what we do, worship on Sunday morning. You are declaring the worth of your God. What is God worth according to the gift that you bring to him this Sunday morning? Because if he's not worthy of three songs, then he's certainly not going to be worthy of a six-mile journey to see if he's really who he says he is. If worship is to declare the worth of somebody, then what is Jesus worth to you? Not what you sing about, but in the demonstration of the gift of your life. I don't care what you say Jesus is worth. Right, let's see it in the way that we live, in the way that we set aside time to be with Jesus. In the way we set aside time to pray to him and to worship him on our own, that's the clearer demonstration of what Jesus is worth to you, not what you sing. It's in not how much you can stay with Jesus when we're in the worship service, but it's how much you can stay with Jesus when you're not in the worship service. That's the true test of the worth of Jesus. 
missionary tells a story. Uh, she's a, a, she was a teacher of one of her students in Africa. And during Christmas one year, he brought her a seashell. It was not the most beautiful seashell, but it was a pretty cool seashell because it was only found on one particular coast in Africa. And in order to get there, this boy didn't have, uh, he didn't have a car, he didn't have a bike, he had to walk there. I don't know, uh, I don't know what the, if the missionary said how long the, the journey was, but apparently it was quite some time. And when he presented the shell to her, she knew that the shell could not have come from anywhere around there, no beaches, but it came from that one particular coast. And she was deeply moved, right? Plenty of seashells out there, it cost maybe a penny to pick up. But she was moved by the fact that he would take that journey all for the sake of that seashell as a demonstration of his affection and love and appreciation for her. And so she received that seashell with a little bit of tears in her eyes. She said, I cannot believe you walked all that way for this shell to give to me. And he thought about it, what she said. And then he said to her, he said, no, no. The long walk is part of my gift to you. Do you understand that? It's not about that thing. It's not about the gift. It's about the walk. That's part of the He couldn't give anything more to her. But he said, but I can make this sacrifice as a symbol of my love for you. The Magi, it wasn't just about the gold and the incense and the myrrh. It was about the walk. It was about the journey. It was about the sacrifice. And your gift to God this morning is not about the the hour and a half that you worship here. Some of you, some of our worship leaders had to come here at 8.30 in the morning. It's not that early, two hours early. But those two hours are part of their gift to Jesus. Some of you, in order to to, to make it to some meetings, you have to sacrifice sleep. And sometimes you wonder, man, I don't know if this is worth it. Every time you sacrifice that sleep, you're saying, Jesus, this is part of my gift to you. It's not just the 30 minutes I come here to pray, but the journey is part of my gift. Guys, Sunday morning is not enough to declare the worth of the God that we worship. The God worthy of everything that we could ever give to him. Your tithe, right, that's not the gift in and of itself. It's the way that you work to earn that money that God has entrusted to you that you would give back to him. That's your act of worship. The journey is part of the gift. In fact, the journey is a greater part of the gift than the actual gift itself. What is a gift that we're offering to God? Everything that we do, everything that we do. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, not to offer your Sunday mornings, but to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to Him. When you do, your life is holy and pleasing to Him. The journey It's a gift, not just what you give to him that you think the gift might be. 
whatever sacrifice you give to him, the attitude with which you do it, the heart with which you do it, and the way that the Magi did it. Look at what it says in verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with the mother. They bowed down and worshipped him. See, this is where the English translation breaks down. All it says is they were overjoyed, but what it says in the original language, it says they rejoiced greatly with a great joy. There's four words that talk about how overwhelming their joy was. When they saw Jesus, it was a hilarious kind of joy that caused them to rejoice greatly with a great joy. They said, this is what he's worth. That I get to do this? Like, we are the only people in Jerusalem and Babylon, anywhere that came to do this? Like, why do we get to do this? They rejoiced greatly with a great joy that they were the ones who were able to be there and to present the gift to Jesus. So finest gifts to him we bring. That was the acceptable Christmas offering in their mind. So what is Jesus worth to you as you come to exalt the one born, the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. And so in 2 Samuel 24, Arauna, the Jebusite, says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings which cost me nothing. I don't want to give this half-hearted offering. I want to give everything to him. Because the costliest gifts are given to the worthiest of recipients. But then sometimes in life, life throws us a curveball. And sometimes it's unworthy people who end up some incredibly costly gifts. Leif, that's the way it was uh, this summer when Olivia and I were out at a wedding in Denver. Right? Some of you have heard us talk about this. We're out at a wedding in Denver and we needed to rent a car. Uh, and everywhere you go is like 30 miles. Right? It's a huge, you know, desert mountainous area. And so our credit card, our, I'm sorry, our, our car rental company said, okay, wherever you go, right, you go to this, this section, and whatever car's in the lot that you want, you can take it. And so we said, well, clearly the best car in the lot is a Toyota Camry, but since we drive that at home, <laughs> we don't need to drive that again. And so there was this hybrid fuel economy, economical car, and we said, well, we'll drive that, right? It was like a Ford Focus or some other kind of little car. So we want to save money on gas, so we're going to get that little thing. And, and we realized that everywhere we needed to go required us to pay tolls. And so uh, I said, I'll wait here. I'm going to go ask them where I can get like a toll transponder. So I went in and asked them, and I came back, and I sat in the car, and this SUV had pulled up next to us, and Olive said to me, hey, you want to move into that, that SUV? I looked at it. It was a nice black SUV. I said, what kind is it? She said, hold on. And she got out of the car, and she went to the back, looked at it, and she came back in, and she's like, it's an Infiniti QX80 or something like that, some Infiniti. I was like, oh, let's go. Move our stuff. And so we got all of our stuff, and we threw it in there, and we're like, there's like buttons in that thing that we had no, we've never seen anything like that before in our lives. We're like, for the first 15 minutes, we're like, let's just figure out how this thing works. Like, it was pretty, we're like little kids in a big old supercar, and we're like pushing buttons, and these things are moving, and all of this stuff is happening. We're like, whoa, like, this is so cool. And so we started driving, and we're 
driving around with our windows down, with the top, like with the moonroof open and stopped at every light looking around. Hey, guys, like, look at us. We're like super cool now. And we drive a Camry at home, but like we're mad cool here. And we're driving and we roll up to the wedding and we pull into the parking lot and there's all these other people there. And like some of our church people were there too. And they're looking at the car. They don't see us because the windows are dark. Like we roll like that now in Denver. The windows are dark, and everyone is like, whoa, who pulled up in that, like, many, many thousand dollar car? And, and everyone is, like, looking and, and waiting to see who comes out. And then Olive and I roll out, and they're like, what? <laughs> like, you, you guys? Like, how did you guys get that car? <laughs> and we're like, hey, sometimes, sometimes the peasants get upgraded to first class. Sometimes the water boy gets in the game for a couple plays. Sometimes the backups get to play with the big boys, and this is what we call grace. That sometimes it's the ones who deserve it the least who get the best kind of gifts. And that, our Father says, is the message of Christmas. See, what we don't fully understand is that you cannot separate all of these things in the coming of Christ from what we talked about last week, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the costliest gift to the most unworthy of recipients. But this is the message of Christmas. You know, Tim Keller said something like, you know, we, we in America, we love Christmas in a way. We don't love Good Friday. We don't love Good Friday because we don't like the darkness of the cross and, and death hanging over us. We like Christmas, peace, goodwill to man. Ah, oh, Jesus is here, gifts and all that stuff. But the message of Christmas really tells us the most offensive news that the world could ever hear, that we stink, that we can't do it. That we cannot get to God, no matter how hard we try. We're not smart enough. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We're not, we're, not, we're not brilliant enough. We are so flawed and broken. We couldn't get to heaven. We couldn't get to God. No, none of us would seek him on our own. So God had to come down for us. And if we've received the most precious gift that Jesus Christ was born in order that he would live a perfect life as God, the God-man, and that he would die the sacrifice to end all sacrifices on the cross for the sins and the punishment that we deserve. If that's the message of Christmas that we understand, the Magi brought the best gift that they could. All they knew is that he's the king of the Jews. But we know so much more. The king of kings the Lord of lords. He's the ruler of all, but he gave his life for us. We know infinitely more than the Magi did. Therefore, we ought to give infinitely greater gifts than the Magi could ever give. Charles Studd was a missionary in the 1800s. He said, if Jesus Christ really is God, right, that Christmas child really is God, and he died for me, then no sacrifice I make is too big for me to give 
to him, the way that you know the worth of God, that you don't talk about sacrifice anymore. You talk like they did. I am rejoicing greatly with a great joy. Like I get to give my life to Jesus, the king. Because how many kings step down from their throne? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats became the least for you and for me? How many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for you and for me? It's only one. And that child is named Jesus. He's worthy of everything that we have. Let's pray. Let's, uh, let's pray for a moment or two right now. What is a gift that you will give to a king so infinitely worthy? Man, in light of this, in light of who he is, what does it look like to declare his worth? We say, I'll bring you more than a song. Song in itself is not what you've required. That's just a sign. That's just a, that's just a packaging. What's the gift that we will offer to God? The only reasonable response in light of the worthiness of God, our Savior, is, Lord, I give you my heart, my life, gift-wrapped in my skin, and I give it to you, and I say, Lord, here's my life. You died for me, and nothing I give to you is too big. Gladly, joyfully, cheerfully, hilariously, I give my life to you that I might know the joy of living a life of surrender to you. Let's pray for a couple moments right now. Just praying to the Lord God, Jesus, I need you. I give my heart to you. If you have not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ to be the Savior of your life, to be the master of your days. And here now is as great a time as any. That's all he wants from you. He wants your heart. He wants your trust. And in exchange, he says, I will give you everything. Everything that this world could not take from you. And everything that this world could never give. And that continues on into eternity. Doesn't mean that life will be easy, that there will be no problems. In fact, there may be more problems that come as you follow Christ, but you will become stronger and more peaceful and filled with his presence living in you in order that you might be able to bear those things and go through those days with the presence of God and his people in a way that you can never do apart from him. Let's open your heart to him. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Let's give our hearts. Let's give our gift to the Lord God and pray in that way. Let's pray. Give our hearts, give our lives, give our gifts to the worthy one as we declare his worth in prayer. Let's do that for a few moments.
Father in heaven, thank you so much that you've given us this morning to worship you. I thank you that this morning is just a sign, it's just a symbol of a life of worship that you're asking for us to offer to you. So we pray that as we do, that Jesus, you would take great delight in the feeble offerings that we have to give to you. But as we offer it to you, thank you that washed in the perfect blood of Jesus, our lives become the most beautiful offering to you, and you love it. And we can say we love you now because you have loved us first. You continue to love us with an unquenchable love, a fountain that never ends, a love that will not run dry. Thank you that this is who you are, that you love us, that you are God with us. In Jesus' name we pray.